Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of The Informed Catholic. My name is Ned Jabbar. So this is going to be episode 119, and for this episode, we're going to read an article. We're going to explore an article of um, LifeSite News. Uh, this article is by Dorothy Cummings McLean, and um, it's... Uh, again, going to be another article on uh, not Archbishop Vigano, but we're going to look into the um, controversial McCarrick, the former um, Cardinal Theodore McCarrick. Um, it's an article. The article's title is Experts Map Out U.S. Bishops, Social Network That Helped Cover Up Ex-Cardinal uh, McCarrick <clears throat> uh, Sex Abuse. It's by sociologists that mapped out a web of Episcopal influence in both the U United States of America and the United Kingdom, the UK. And uh, I think it'll be worth looking into. So uh, let's start off with a prayer in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. As it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, now and forever. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now at the hour of our death. Amen. And um, we offer these prayers to the victims of uh, clergy sex abuse. Uh, Almighty God, help um, this episode of the Informed Catholic help um, to give us wisdom and uh, the virtue to uh, fight this evil in the, uh, the Catholic Church, the church militant on earth, so that we can be uh, a better people of God that we could be truly the people of Jesus Christ. And we also ask for the um, the prayers and intercessions of Our Lady, uh, the Blessed Virgin Mary, and the intercession of St. Joseph and St. Michael the Archangel. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's hard to really comprehend it, isn't it? That there is actually a, um, a culture of uh, a predator culture um, whether it's in the in the Catholic Church or outside the Catholic Church, um, unfortunately, there's a sexual abuse culture even within the world. Let's say of the infamous Jeffrey Epstein. Uh, there's a Netflix uh, pr uh, documentary um, about his life, and and it's true. Uh, we're going to learn from this article that someone like Theodore McCarrick didn't get to where he was on his own. Uh, sex, sexual predators, sexual abuse predators, perverts seek out other perverts, other um, sexual abuse monsters. This is the way it's done. In the um, Jeffrey Epstein uh, documentary, uh, his power, and I think it's quite clear of um, of people like this. Their their power is psychological. It's mind control, and they they're very good at it. It's um, it's demonic. It's a demonic uh, power that these men have. Uh, how do they learn it? Um, even Jim Jones, I believe I saw a documentary once about this guy, Jim Jones. He, the one who took everybody out into the Caribbean and got them to drink the Kool-Aid and, you know, with his cult, he learned, he learned, I believe he, he studied and learned how to influence people to develop this charisma, this ability, this power. Uh, it's literally almost uh like magic or uh, witchcraft almost to the point but it's 
it's it's influence it's psychological and for some reason they have the ability where they can find the person's weakness um you know but even someone like Jeffrey Epstein they're narcissistic they have a view about themselves surprisingly Epstein uh himself the reason I'm talking about him because there's probably a similarity, a similar, a similar makeup, a psychological makeup to someone like Theodore McCarrick and other people. There must be some common core, common foundation other than their perversion. But you got to look further. You got to look to exactly what builds these people up, what makes them who they are. Epstein was a fantastic liar. All right, he was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York, in Coney Island, someone like Jeffrey Epstein. Um, he was smart in school, all right? Um, he, um, he lied about his education, but he was very good at what he did. And um, sex and perversion is one of their superpowers. <laughs> uh, I, it, you know, it's true. It's not something to laugh about, but they they know how to use it. And um, and it's the main goal for these people is that you think it's money, but it's not. Because if it's just material wealth that they wanted, at some point he would have stopped. But it's not. It's people. People. Power over people is what they want. Now, McCarrick is someone who decided this about himself. And it, he somehow, somewhere in his life, I mean, we know one thing, he, had a, he didn't have a father in his life. Maybe that's one of the common cores. Maybe that's one of the things that's, that to understand their makeup, to understand their psychology is... Um, where you know what's what makes them uh tick who they are maybe it's the absence of a father well that's what we're going to look into this article this article is going to also look into mo mostly the the clergy the 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 part about his network how he got up to where he is and it's a culture like i said there's a culture it's a whole different world and we have to learn to um, understand that nobody got to where they are on their own. Okay, sexual abuse predators seek out other sexual abuse predators. Believe it or not, now that we got this other woman uh, who was a close friend to Jeffrey Epstein, her name is uh, Maxwell. Surprisingly, yes, it can involve women. Women can also be just as uh, sexual predators as men. So it's not just a male thing. So we have to learn to uh, accept that. Um, people, you know, it's it's nothing to do just with gender. It's a lot to do with uh, men. And it's driven by money, power, but mainly it's people. It's always power over people to get people to do what you want them to do. And this, this is the main thing. It's always been, it's always been that. Money is just one thing. It helps them to get where they are, but it's people. And that's, you know, money is, money by itself is nothing if you don't have people, if you don't have power over people. And that's, one thing that sexual predators want, they covet, is power over people. All right, so let's look into this article. Again, it's by um, uh, Dorothy Cummings McLean. And it's about the network. Experts map out U.S. bishops, social networks that helped cover up ex-Cardinal McCarrick sex abuse. Uh, the sociologist mapped out webs of Episcopal influence in both U.S. and U.K. It's a picture here of McCarrick. He looks very frail, but like 
we, we're going to learn uh, appearance, appearances can be deceiving. All right, let's begin. Ethica, New York, July 17th, 2020, LifeSite News. Sociologists published a paper illustrating social networks between bishops in two national Episcopal conferences around the former Cardinal Theodore McCarrick, who was laicized over credible allegations of sexually abusing seminarians and priests. This paper presents preliminary findings using original network data from the Catholic Bishops' Conference of England and Wales. All right, for England and Wales, is going to, is going to be CBCEW, and the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, as we already know, is USCCB, and the, the scholars explain. These show how a network-informed approach may help with the urgent task of understanding the ecclesiastical culture in which sexual abuse occurs and or is enabled, ignored, and covered up. The power, preferment, and patronage, Catholic bishops' social network, and the affairs of ex-Cardinal McCarrick. There's a link here, and I won't do it now, so we'll look at it later on. Okay, um, okay the ex-Cardinal McCarrick was authored by Professor Stephen Boulevien. Let me go back again and read the whole thing. Power, preferment, and patronage, Catholic bishops' social network, and the affairs of ex-Cardinal McCarrick was authored by Professor Stephen Boulvient. I'm going to spell his last name. Okay, Stephen, of course, S-T-E-P-H-E-N, Boulvient. I may be pronouncing the name wrong, B-U-L-L-I-V-A-N-T, Stephen Boulvient of St. Mary's University, London, and Research Fellow, Giovanni Ratieto, okay, Giovanni, G, capital G, I, O, V, A, N, N, I, Ratieto, I know I, I might be pronouncing the name wrong, capital R, A, D, H, I, T, I, O, uh, Putra Sadawo, okay, so I'll, I'll spell the other one, although other half of his name, P, U, T, R, A, Sadawo, S, A, D-E-W-O of Swinburne University of Technology in Melbourne. It was published online this week by Cornell University. The study describes Episcopal culture and, pres and presents three maps. Relationships among bishops of the CBCEW, that's England and Wales, the Catholic uh, bishops, we just went through that, then among the bishops of the USCCB, and finally of, of bishops to the disgraced former Cardinal McCarrick. The authors argue that an examination of relationships, social network, and analysis, SNA, gives insight into cultures where patronage, preferment, and uh, resorbatory are important. Uh, they believe that like the Italian mafia and the Chinese political elite, Catholic bishops share this kind of culture. All right. Well, this this makes sense because like we just said, you know, no one gets there on their own. And look how they compared it to the mafia, uh, to the Italian mafia uh, and then to the Chinese political elite. Uh, people like to point, like still want to believe that China is a socialist country. It's not at the, it's an authoritarian culture. All right, it's an authoritarian culture. There's the elite, and there's those below the caste, the the non the non elite, and that's that is exactly what it is. Whether people like it or not, China is not socialist. China is an authoritarian, power hungry. And the main power is people. Money is one thing. The mafia is the same thing. Money is just one aspect of the whole thing. Everybody needs money to to get this 
corrupt machine moving. But the main purpose is people. Money is nothing without people. You need people to keep the machine rolling. That's the real PowerPoint. And then I remember there was a, uh, I don't know who it was, but it was a a um, uh, a Renaissance uh, sort of like analyst. Uh, this is an ancient, this is a person 500 years ago. The real power, the real uh, powerful resource of any nation, it's its people. That's the most powerful resource. Anything else means nothing. You can't, you can't have a, a country. You can't have a country without people. A king is nothing without people. So we have to uh, get that into our head, the real resource. You control the people. You control their minds. You control their wills in a corrupt system. That's what you need. That's, that's all you need. The money will come easily. Okay, let's, uh, let's go on to the next paragraph. Okay. Bulvient, who is a Catholic theology professor as well as a sociologist, and Sadawo um, concede that there are theological reasons for Episcopal Church governance. However, the hierarchical culture also gives rise to problems. For example, these might include, okay, these might include, hold on, okay. For example, these might include the potential for ambitious clergy or seminarians to actively seek the favor and patronage of their own and or other influential bishops or indeed for bishops to use the hope or even promise of preferment as a means of incentivizing or rewarding loyalty, the author writes. Career, career. Those who basically their main goal is to uh, become popular. They're, you know, career um, clergy. They're, they're not driven by spirituality. They're not driven by devotion, love for God. They, they might, they'll say they are, they might even believe that they are, but their main goal is career. They're, these are career-driven-minded clergy. Um, and, he, and they're right. They're technically right because um, you can see that, you know, by some. And I hate to say it, but yes, uh, you know the ones that care about the faith. You know the ones that care about people. And you can tell by the ones who are just who just care about their name, their reputation, and how they look. Hate to say it, but I think Bishop Robert Barron is one. The fact that he cut off Taylor Marshall, the fact that he won't even talk to click to Taylor Marshall, uh, the fact that he won't even talk to someone like Michael Voris says it all. Anyway, let's continue. Um, Okay, so, um, okay, Bolvient, who is a Catholic theology professor as well as a sociologist and Sadawo, can see that there are theological reasons for Episcopal and church governances. However, the hierarchical culture also gives rise to problems. For example, these might include the potential for ambitious clergy or seminarians to actively seek the favor and patronage of their own and or other influential bishops or indeed for bishops to use the hope or even promise a preferment as a means of incentivizing or rewarding loyalty, the author writes, it could result in certain types of priests being favored and or formed in line with the type of their own bishops and perhaps a wider Episcopal mold or culture. Again, like I said, They'll seek out others who are who match their character. <clears throat> it makes perfect sense. Um, I think a homosexual bishop will will uh, will pick out one a priest who is homosexual like himself. Um, intellectually arrogant one will do the same thing. We'll find one who is intellectually arrogant. <laughs> it's not. Uh, it's, 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 I don't think, I don't think that's a surprise. It, it happens in the regular secular world. This is intensified by the fact that priests learn to be bishops 
through the process of imita uh, imita you know, imitation and social socializing. And this can lead to identifi identifiable uh, uh, you know, cliques of bishops are bound together by ties of loyalty, similar behavior, shared proteges, and a sense that if one member goes down, they will all go down. In other words, they learn each other's secrets. They learn each other's dirty secrets. They learn each other's uh, dirty uh, perversion. And this is how they, they, call, they, they create a wall, a wall of protection. And so it's, all, you know, it's almost like, um, like a hive, you know, uh, a herd or a hive, basically. They, it's, 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 it's all, it's all there. They don't, they don't let any anything in, and they don't let anything out. Another issue is the special nature of the relationship between a seminarian or priest and his bishop, very different from that of an employee and an employer. A seminarian or priest owes his bishop both reverence and obedience. The author notes, then there is the issue of homosexuality. This is the author's author argues has an important relevance for understanding the McCarrick case. Not least, there is a clear potential for mutually compromised networks of homosexuality active or once active priests such as McCarrick appears to have cultivated among his ne among his nephews, they write. <laughs> That's right. He um, he kind of had. He called himself uncle, and they were his nephews. Um, the existence of homosexual subculture within the U.S. Catholic seminaries or diocesan power structure, while understandably a sensitive topic, is well established in the academic literature as two are the dis disproportionately high number of same-sex attracted seminarians and clergy in the first place. The author <clears throat> observes that given number of factors in the relationship between homosexuality and the church and the potential for sub subordinates, ex uh, exp um, exploitation by bishops, the risk of other McCarrick cases is real. So you see, it's a culture. And I think what it is, is that it, 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 never mind. I mean, look at it this way. They know there's a gay culture outside. They know that the secular world has accepted them. This has nothing to do with the secular world for them. This happens to be a world that they want to live in. They want to live under the mask of religion because, one, it gives them uh, the power to live as they want. I think for some of them, they don't want it. They don't want things to change. They don't want to go outside into the outside world. They want to remain within, um, you know, in the shadows of, of their view of what the church is. They want to keep what they have. They like what they have. There was an article a couple of years ago about a former Jesuit who joined the Anglican Church, and he was a homosexual. And he, when he was in the Catholic Church, he complained to his fellow Jesuits, why are we hiding in here? And they said, why not? We got everything we need. We got the money. We got the lifestyle we want. Why should we leave? And why should, we, why should things change? Even though some of them may want to church to be open, you know, they say, they say that, but a vast majority of them, I don't think they do. I think they want the appearance that works for them, even though they know quite well that other people know about the phoniness about, you know, that they're all homosexual, but the truth is they don't care. They just want to keep what they have, even though it's obvious that they're gay. It's obvious that they're the, that the, the public knows this about them. They don't care about the, the conservative Catholic culture. The conservative Catholic culture has their own culture. But the, what they want to do is control the office of power. And that means having power over the conservative side. 
the, the conservative side to them is a necessary burden. All right, they know that they need the they need the conservative Catholic culture. I think they know this. This is my personal view. It's not. I don't think, and everyone will share it. But it's my personal view. They want this. They don't want things to change. They don't want to come out into the light. Um, they're willing to deal with a McCarrick case coming out. They're willing to deal with a sexual abuse case going to court as long as they're able to pay it off and silence it and they can continue on as they are. They're willing to deal with the bumps on the road. I, I think they, they are very, very serious about that. I think this is how they want things to be. Even though you're going to get a few bishops and priests and uh, you'll get the your slim Jim Martin who will talk about being open, the truth is they, they don't want that. They'll talk about it, but it ain't, it's never going to happen. They're going to keep things as they are. So one more, we'll read this little short art, uh, paragraph. The, author, the authors observe that given number of factors in the relationship between homosexuality and the church and the potential for sub, uh, subordinates exploitation by bishops, the risk of, the, uh, of other McCarrick cases is real. The McCarrick case illustrates what ecclesiastical Episcopal culture can look like. Boliviant and Sadawa describe how the former bishop, bishop, archbishop, and cardinal openly courted young seminarians and priests. They note that his subordinates, torn by conflicting loyalties, never upbraided him for his misconduct. Rising from, um, from post to high profile, Post McCarrick became recognized as a kingmaker for Episcopal appointments in both the United States and Rome. Serious allegations about him were known by those in the highest escalons of the hierarchy, but were merely dismissed, ignored, or paid off by his previous diocese. McCarrick was simply that, influential among bishops. It's interesting. You see this? Okay, they the 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 earlier article here, the the, the paragraph. McCarrick case illustrates what ecclesiastical episcopal culture can look like. Boliviant and Sadawo describe how the former bishop, archbishop, and cardinal openly courted young seminarians and priests. They note that his subordinates, torn by conflicting loyalties, never upbraided him for his misconduct. That's how much mental power he had. That's how much that culture, that subordinate culture. A lot of these guys, most likely, yes, they were gay and they were forced to submit to him. But they never, you know, they never complained about that. I mean, they admitted that they were abused, but they ne but they were still loyal to him after they were abused. Even after they were mistreated, they were still loyal to him. It's amazing. And rising from the post to high-profile post, McCarrick became recognized as a kingmaker for Episcopal appointments in both the United States and Rome. Serious allegations about him were known by those in the highest uh, Escalon's highest office of the hierarchy, but were merely dismissed, ignored, or paid off by his previous diocese. McCarrick was simply that influential among bishops. You see what I'm saying? The 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 scandals come out. They'll 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 hush it up. They'll pay off the the victim's family, and they'll go on and they'll deal with the next scandal when it comes on. That's it's a game. They they don't want things to change. They don't want things to change. Even though it's obvious to the public, it's obvious to them that the public knows, is aware about everything, even though a reporter will dig up the the garbage, the 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 truth, fine. They'll deal with it. But they know that the culture that we live in, the media culture that we live in, that sooner or later some other news will come along and this will simply disappear. And no one will talk about it. People may talk a little bit about it here and there. People say whatever happened in this case. But they'll go on and they'll just simply ignore it because political news will take place, economic uh, world crisis will come over, and this will simply disappear. 
like everything else. And that's what they're hoping on. They're not, they're, they don't want anything to change. No, they'll change things for their, for their benefit to protect themselves. Like noticing the fact that Pope Francis is slowly decentralizing the power that leads to the, to the papacy and giving more power to bishops. This means more power for themselves that they don't have to answer the Pope. That means any scandal that comes uh, decentralizing power and giving more synodal power, more power to local bishops will basically prevent scandal from going to Rome so they can cover things up for themselves. And therefore, Rome can mind its own business and they can go on always covering up scandal and ho- and not letting it reach the magisterium, not letting it reach the Vatican court. That's all they want. All right, let's continue. Um, okay, so yeah, he was known as the kingmaker. And then, of course, he was that influ- influential, that much power he had. Network bishops um, calculated and mapped out. To map out the influence of bishops over one another... Bouvient and Sadao collected information about which, about which living uh, bishops had served under each other as priests. Auxiliary bishops or in the high trust di- di- diocesan position, like a bishop's private secretary, the higher the number of bishops each bishop had served or had one, once been served by, the greater his influence was determined to be. The author chose the relatively small Catholic Bishops Conference of England and Wales, CBCEW, as their pilot project and discovered that the largest net of influence spread out from its center point, Cardinal Vincent uh, Nichols of Westminster Archdiocese. All right, so there's a map here. You can look it up yourself. The fact that the graph conforms in these and other basic respects to what any observer of English and Welsh Catholicism could have told you any told you anyway is a good sign, the author argues. A network map seeming to show, say, Nichols as a marginal figure within the CBCEW or one of the long retired auxiliaries as its kingpin would be correctly suspected of having a, a fatal mythological flaws. They note that also the illustration sheds light on ecclesiastical politics in England and Wales. A smaller network of bishops shown to be at a distance from the Coles network thwarted his plans to for the CBCEW to oppose Brexit. Interesting. And bishops Divius and Egan, who were often outside the CBCEW concesses, are also far from the Coles network of influence. When the two scholars addressed the largest project of of the USCCB, they noted that the 10 leaving bishops, um, emeritus with highest uh, in degree, the largest number of bishops who had served under them in 2018, when the McCarrick scandal broke, were Cardinal Archbishop Emeritus Justin Regali, former Cardinal... uh, uh, former Cardinal McCarrick, 17 Cardinal Archbishops Emeritus, Adam M- uh, Medea, Cardinal Archbishop Sean O'Malley of Boston, Archbishop Jose Gomez of Los Angeles, Cardinal Archbishop Donald Whirl of Washington, uh, Cardinal Archbishop Timothy Dolan of New York, Archbishop Charles Chaput of Philadelphia, Cardinal Archbishop Emeritus Roger Mahoney, and Cardinal Archbishop Blaise Supich of Chicago. Given the nature of Episcopal appointments, it is no surprise that bishops with the highest degree are or have been ordinaries of large dioceses, which typically have a significant number of auxiliaries in any many cases and, and in many cases have been ordinaries for a long period. The top three are all uh, emeritus of one or in the case of McCarrick network and uh, Regali, St. Louis and Philadelphia, two major archdioceses, the author wrote. Now they're all connected. There are many of them are retired. But they're all connected. They're all they're they're successors. By emeritus, they mean by 
those who have finally retired and those who retired have connections to McCarrick, directly to McCarrick, and the successors are directly uh, success of those bishops are directed towards him. So he has his hand. He has a long arm and a long influence. And now, of course, he's slowly, he's an old man now. I mean, he's getting close to death, McCarrick. The point is, there's another one out there like him. There's, a, there's always going to be another one. There's always got to be an alpha predator like him. That's going to take over. A lot of these guys were just simply who wanted to succeed. They're like beta or whatever you want to call it. They're like a beta male. They're, they, a lot of them are not, you know, they're they're small players. I mean, they're perverts. Some of them are perverts. Uh, you know, most definitely they are. But there's a there's an alpha predator out there just, you know, being being molded now. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's obvious. They're all too, you know, given the nature of the Episcopal appointment, it is no surprise that bishops with highest in degree are or have been or, or ordinaries of large diocese, which typically have a significant number of auxiliaries, and in many cases have been ordinaries for a long period in top of three or all emeritus of one, or in the case of McCarrick, Newark and D.C., and Regali of St. Louis in Philadelphia, two major archdioceses, the author wrote, they observed that the three voting members of the Vatican's Congregation for Bishops were also in this top ten, and that Cardinal Regali had had a decades of long career within the Roman Curia prior to his appointment of Archbishop of St. Louis in 1994. The scholars Next, designed an ego network or personal community for Cardinal McCarrick, showing bishops who were within two degrees of separation from him. It included 43 bishops, many of whom are significant influences in their own right, like Bishop uh, Nicholas DiMarzio of Brooklyn, Archbishop John Myers of Newark, and Cardinal Kevin Farrell and, Car and Cardinal Whirl. The guys with large egos. Wow. Wow. And they're all connected to him still by third degree. Amazing. At the most basic level, our network maps support the view that it is meaningful to talk in terms of their being defined. Cliches of bishops, the author writes. Although reminding readers that network proximity to McCarrick or anyone else does not prove a bishop had knowledge of approval of of emulated his misdeeds. Bolivian and Sadawa argue that the existence of these uh, cliches gives insight into problems. The cover-up of sexual abuse and in, an in-house investigation of allegations against bishops. Okay, let me read it one more time. Although reminding readers that network proximity to McCarrick or anyone else does not prove to a bishop had knowledge or approved or emulated his, misde uh, his misdeeds. Boulevard and Sadawa argue that the existence of these uh, gives insight into two problems, the cover-up of sexual abuse and an in-house investigation of allegation against bishops. I think I understand what they're trying to say here. Um, many of them many of them um most likely didn't know most of the most likely didn't know everything didn't didn't know everything that happened they may have heard it they may have been promoted um but i think in most cases a lot of the uh, McCarrick movement McCarrick circle um may have decided to pick someone who's completely oblivious oblivious to 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 behaviors to the sexual abuse um in other words they probably put they probably chose a scapegoat a scapegoat for for safety reasons they chose they promoted someone to the position of bishop and decided to this sort of like they needed they in other words they need they needed someone who um will take orders and doesn't ask questions uh, but also had to be oblivious because 
for 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 their own sake. They had to do that. Uh, although reminding readers that network proximity to McCarrick or anyone else does not prove a bishop had knowledge of approved of or or emulated his misdeeds. Bolivient and Sadawa argued that the existence of these uh, give insight in, into two problems, the cover-up of sexual abuse and in-house investigation of allegations against abu- uh, bishops. The first problem is the invisible but apparent playbook for concealing the truth. Many dioceses seem to be following when it came to handling clerical sexual abuse of children. Many dioceses seem to be following when it comes to handling sexual abuse cases of children. There's no evidence of any explicit conspiracy between Catholic dioceses to create or set up norms or procedures to be followed in such circumstances. And it also seems a stretch simply to suppose that almost exactly the same solutions arose completely independently by spontaneous generation. In each chancery, the author writes, I, I truly believe that they, they just found scapegoats. That's what I think. I think that they chose a guy who's maybe, you know, he, he may have heard things, he may have suspected things about the bishops, and they needed they, they couldn't find one of their own that's willing to take a fall. I mean, think about it. You're not you're not gonna you're not gonna put one of your own out there to take a fall. You need to t- you need to find a sucker. You need to find someone who wants to be bishop, who wants to be auxiliary bishop, and so put him there, but set everything up before he gets there. So when the sexual abuse case comes out, they can simply uh, he'll simply have to take the fall. He'll simply have to accept it that this case within his diocese has come out and. He's just going to have to deal with it. He's going to have to. He's going to have to deal with it, and he may not know how to deal with it. And so they found a fall guy. You know that that's what I think. What they did, and to, to some of these bishops, I know. And so let's see here. So a little backtrack. The art. Uh, we'll go back to this a paragraph here. The first problem is the invisible but apparent playbook for concealing the truth remember i said you know they're gonna follow you know they're gonna do the they know it's obvious they know it's obvious to the public they don't want things to change uh they're willing to deal with scandals that come along it's obvious to the world it's obvious to them but they don't care they want to keep the status quo so they'll do whatever they can they'll They'll drag out the case. They'll drag out the court case. Uh, even if there's investigations uh, done by either the, um, the, the secular media or done by, let's say, Catholic, um, independent Catholic media like Church Militant or LifeSite News or 1 Peter 5, anybody, they don't care. They will follow, the, you know, they, they'll try to drag it out and they'll hope that the public, which they do, they it often does happen, time goes on and the public will be distracted by something else. So it's the usual playbook. I mean, especially when it comes to handling clerical sexual abuse of children, of minors. It's shameful, but it's true. There's no evidence of any explicit conspiracy between Catholic dioceses to create or set up norms or procedures to be followed in such circumstances. And yet it also seems a stretch simply to suppose that almost exactly the same solutions arose, complete independently by spontaneous generations in each chancery, the author writes. Much more plausible, we can contend to view this metaphorical playbook as a set of routinized practice and norms or habits emerging and diffusing orig- uh, uh, organically within and through ecclesial ecclesiastical networks you see there it the bishops they, like i said earlier they're going to choose a scapegoat they're going to choose one who had hopes of becoming a career maybe but he's not entirely he's not homosexual they they have no, um, you know, he's legit about his, uh, his what do you call it, uh, celibacy, uh, maybe. 
but he's also a yes man. He'll do anything to become bishop. But unfortunately, he doesn't realize he's going to inherit a diocese that's ridiculed with scandal. And they'll they'll make him look bad. You know, he's a bishop. He'll be an auxiliary bishop, but he's not going to be someone who's going to be much of a fighter. And he'll be he'll inherit it. And in order to keep his his position as bishop, unfortunately, he is going to be marked, stained because of the scandal, even though he's not responsible for it, but he inherited it. And hopefully he'll remain uh, a yes man even after the whole thing. It's sad, but I, I believe it's true. Um, if complaints are made against the former bishops of a diocese, then there is a strong likelihood of the current bishops being quite closely networked with him, even if neither his previously ser- uh, neither has served previously under him, under the other. But the uh, the odds are good that they ha- they have mutual ties with other bishops. Who go, uh, who have been the others observe uh, others uh, the author observes. Let me, let me read it one more time. If complaints are made against the former bishop of a diocese, then there is a strong likelihood um, of the current bishop being quite closely networked with him, even if neither has previously served under the uh, uh, the other. The odds are good that they have mutual ties with other bishops who have served under under him, as the author observes. And indeed, this is precisely what happened with McCarrick. The authors conclude with recommendations of six areas of further rational study, clerical ties other than ordinary subordinate, uh, subordinate among seminary classmates, ecclesiastical family trees, or dynasties. Interesting, the word dynasties, ecclesiastical dynasties, I guess. Affirmative action policies, how network pathology, uh, pathological behavior may be reformed, social networks within the Roman Curia, and other historically important moments of Episcopal networking. All right, that's, uh, wow, we reached the end of this article. Um, yeah. I mean, if you look it up at LifeSite News, they'll give you sort of like, I mean, I like what Taylor Marshall said. It's like a spider web, but other people called it a, an octopus tentacle that spreads out. So what we have is, like I said, there is uh, career ones. There are a few that make it through that are heterosexual. Some maybe heterosexuals are legit. They... Uh, are celibate, but their career, they're spiritually weak. They're not. There's no real strong spiritual um, um, legitimacy about them. Uh, you know, in other words, they just they're they're Catholic. They wanted to go into the church. They wanted to believe that they that this is what God wanted for them. But they're not. They're not really bearing any fruit. And they're you know, and then and then there's a possibility of others who are heterosexual but not celibate. They have uh, secret relationships on the side, and that's the way they wanted to do it. They don't care. Uh, but they want to go in there because it's a sure it's a sure way of living for them. And then there's the homosexual network, which is a tight lid community. They're they're you know they they want the lifestyle. They want the money and they want the lifestyle. And then you get someone like Theodore McCarrick, a cult like person. I mean, he chose an environment where loyalty and obedience is sacred. And he will use um, the tools of Christ. He will use the, the church. He will use the, um, the, 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 the very strong spiritual environment to cultivate his power and to use it the way he wants because it has the, it has the money and it has the people money and people and he and he did it and he did it through developing his own posse his own tribe his own clan within the church and this is this is what he did this is the kind of person we had in there for many years some say he has very strong um marxist social leanings taylor marshall believes that um 
That's something we need to investigate. I think more of it is going to come out about him, secrets about his life. There's stories about him. I think he um, in, he was kicked out of Catholic school for some reason. Then there's um, the time he went to uh, St. Gallen, Switzerland or Sweden, whatever the place is, where there was a uh, um, a Marxist social training camp there. And that's possibly when he decided to enter the church and serve Marxism um, within the church. They saw they saw who he was. They saw the kind of person he was. They saw the psychological makeup of him, and they wanted it. And that's exactly the kind of person he saw. The environment that was perfect for him, and he went. He you know he went for it, and you know. He's had, I mean, look, when he, he got placed back into action by uh, Pope Francis, and Pope Francis sends him to China because he knew people in China. He had contacts in China. And Taylor Marshall remembers where he actually said that the Chinese state church, uh, that the underground legitimate Catholic church should, should merge with the Chinese state church. That, was, that shocked Taylor Marshall. And a lot of people believe, I know he had contacts, although he had strong relationship with the Obama administration. So, especially when the dealings with China, which is, I find very strange that a, uh, that someone like Barack Obama, but maybe it isn't so surprising because he's a Marxist. He's a socialist. He's, he holds, he's a communist. He holds on to these things. These are things he believes in. All right, so let's end it here. Uh, we'll get back uh, another time, and maybe we'll go over um, understanding this a little bit more. We'll critique it more, because I think there's a lot more we need to look into here. Uh, so let's end it with a prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, now and forever. Amen. God bless.